At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, in the 70s and 80s, a serial killer roamed the Connecticut River Valley. Now, his only surviving victim joins a journalist to solve the cold case. We'll review the new podcast, Dark Valley. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, and my caretaker, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Don't forget to call me your typhoid Mary. That's right. You are patient zero. Uh, Should we Hmm. talk about that? Okay, all right. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. No longer bartender for a day. My uh, certificate expired, unfortunately. Sorry oh, to hear it. Oh, it's like being a I butterfly, know. right? And you just got the one day. Her wings got yeah. clipped. Yeah, housefly. And, and finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, before we start the program, um, this is obviously a podcast. Yes, what it is, is happening on the next podcast that we are going to do. So later in the week, uh, kind of uh, acknowledging the latest news about a, an arrest in the Long Island serial killer case. Yes. We're going to be looking back at our review of the movie Lost Girls. Okay. Which uh, had to do with that topic. And then on Monday, we're going to be talking about the new season of Suspect. This is the third season, and it's called Five Shots in the Dark. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So, Kevin, you've been away. I have. And yes. You, you brought back a present for all of us I and everyone did. in my family. I did. I'd love to talk about what a wonderful time I had in Ireland. You did have a wonderful but, time. Uh, but apparently, the souvenir I brought back uh, was COVID 19. Yes. And the Irish variety. The Irish variety. Yes, I did. It left me green in the gills. True. <laughs> and so, you know, that would be bad enough on its own. But within 48 hours of returning, we packed the whole family in a rented SUV and drove to New York to attend your mother's 80th birthday party. Correct. So, months in the planning. Months in the planning. <laughs> oh. So I'm in the car coughing. In this hot box of a Petri dish with everybody that I love. And I've gotten, I think, everybody sick. Yeah, well, I I have it. Uh, I'm on, finally, today's the first day I feel better. By the way, we are, the audience doesn't care. We're taping on a whole different day at a whole different time. Laura and Toby, you were very patient. Thank you very much for putting up with me. I could not have done this yesterday or the day before. Kevin, you've been very, very nice because you got better, like, immediately. Uh, Well, I don't know. I just, I, I think the... We started the clock on when I was feeling bad a lot later than yeah. probably. Yeah. But you took the Paxlovid and like within a day you were like completely fine. Yeah. Paxlovid really kind of works for me. For me, it just just doesn't seem to do Well, you have to give it a little more time, babe. <laughs> a little more time. It's a five-day regimen. It is really interesting. I mean, I, I was like, wait, I haven't known anyone who's had COVID in a long time. But 
I mean, when I had it, I was down for like a week. It was, I'd never been so sick. And then somebody else I know was like up in a day. So I've never had it. This is my first, my first go around as far as I know. And um, Mm -hmm. it sucks. It super sucks. So yeah, now I know what y'all been talking about this whole time, (laughs) all these years. So anyway, yeah. Uh, So thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Also, you got me a nice sweater. So there's that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was a wonderful sweater I got you from Dublin, wasn't it? You did. Really nice sweater. Really appreciate it. I met the sheep that... uh, no, I didn't actually meet the sheep. No, but it was really, really <laughs> nice. So anyway, um, well, we have a lot to talk about. And the thing we have to talk about is a uh, local matter. So I really would like to get to it. What do you guys think? Well, everything is a local matter to somebody. That's true. But this one is especially local to us. Okay. This is super local. Yeah. I grew up in that area. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, well, don't give it away, Lara. Don't give it away. Yeah, give it away. All right. Let's do it. Leading off. My name is Jane Borowski. I survived. And I remember everything. In 1988, 22-year-old Jane Borowski was attacked at a soda vending machine. The seven months pregnant New Hampshire woman was stabbed 27 times and left for dead. As the blood begins to pool around her body, it is a long, cold stare. There is no expression, no feeling at all for what he had just done. Then he guns the car out of the parking lot, leaving Jane Borowski to die alone. Borowski is believed to be the last victim and only survivor of the Connecticut River Valley Killer, a suspect who murdered at least seven women between 1978 and 1988. Decades later, the question remains, why did he kill and where did he go? For myself personally, I wanted to know, okay, what was the connection between them and me, their case and my case? I just felt like I just needed to know more about what happened to them. In the podcast Dark Valley from Crawl Space Media and Glassbox Media, Jennifer Amell looks back at the murders along the Vermont-New Hampshire corridor. The host accompanies Jane as she re-examines the lasting impact of the attack on her life, all while seeking new information on who the Valley Killer or Valley Killers were. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first seven episodes of Dark Valley. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, talk about your local affiliation with this case. Yeah, so I grew up in that Upper Valley area right over the border in Vermont. So uh, extremely familiar with that whole like the Connecticut River and that area between Claremont on one side and Keene on the other. And Unity, which is this teeny tiny town, but like my mom was a horse dealer and there was some like old horse dealer lady who lived in Unity. So we would go over there. So I knew a lot of these places. I remember hearing about this case when I was in high school. And this could have just been an urban legend because there was some kid in my high school. I went to three high schools, but one of them, when I went to Hanover, which is right in this area, They were like, oh, that's the kid whose mother got murdered by the serial killer. So it probably was not true, but it was something that people knew about. And it was this scary thing that came up once in a while. So it is interesting. I will say the downside of listening to a podcast about an area that you know so well is that when you hear any error, like you immediately grab it, which is not anybody's fault. It's just like me. I'm just like, no, Keen is not in the upper valley. But like, yes, I will say it is always very interesting to hear something that that's that, that intimate. And the research here is honestly pretty good. Um, so, Kevin, what do you think about the opening of this podcast? Because it really does seem to have a very punchy start. 
Yeah, I, I do like the idea. I mean, we get a very dramatic retelling of this attack. And then Jane is hit like a truck from behind as the man takes her to the ground. He straddles Jane and her pregnant belly and sinks the knife into her body over and over and over again. And then it's sort of at the end, we hear from Jane. And we're like, oh, she survived. And she's talking to us. And we're going to hear her story. So I thought that, you know, that was a really great way of kicking it off and grabbing the audience so that they know, okay, this is what we're going to get from this. It's not just going to be a, you know, a warmed over retelling of all the different attacks and where the investigations went decades ago. But also we're going to hear from some of the people that were directly affected. And we stay, we stay with Jane throughout the first seven episodes here. And this, I guess, is after these seven episodes, they consider this the first half because as we know they take a break after this so that they can work out, you know, some new leads and some new information that came in during the run of the podcast. So the fact that, like, Jane isn't sort of a one-off interview and that Jennifer stays with her throughout that part of the podcast, I think, uh, is a strength. She's riding shotgun like pretty much the whole time, right? So so it seems. Yeah. I mean, they go and they they go to some, you know, interesting places and sort of talk to her about her feelings and really kind of work that out. So that's the part that a lot of these podcasts don't really have or don't go too much into. So, Toby, this podcast is highly stylized, and I think it's stylized in a way that... um, well, I'd like you just to address the style of it because I stylized in a way that I haven't heard in a long time. I mean, I'm just going to put it that way. And certainly the narration is stylized like pretty deliberately in a way that it took me a little bit of time to get used to. Um, and I'm just curious to know what you think of of the style of the podcast and the narration specifically, because we do hear a difference between Jennifer and her field tape and Jennifer and her mic technique. Yeah. So Jennifer, uh, her sort of voiceover is very calm. <laughs> At first, I was thinking, my God, I'm going to have to listen to this for like seven episodes. But it actually grows on me because I, 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 I kind of feel as though it, I don't know if gravity is the right word, but it's good for the tone of the show. And, you know, it wasn't too jarring to hear that next to her field tape where she's, she's a little more sort of animated and conversational. I, I guess the two other things as far as that goes is... This is more clearly written than a lot of things that we listen to. And I think the writing is sometimes very good and is sometimes less good. I I mean, I think there are things that may look good on the paper that when you actually say them aloud are like, nobody talks like this. It's weird. So at one point she says, voices tempered by long winters as if they had to be thawed. You know, that's something that you write like on your third draft when you're going through it, you know, it's not something that comes off your tongue while you're just chatting with somebody about something. So regardless of what you think about that sort of simile, it doesn't feel like natural talking. And I guess the other aspect of sort of the stylized nature of this podcast is the music, which is extremely present. At least that was my experience. Like I usually don't notice that stuff that much. But this was, and some of it I really liked. Like there was some of it, I was like, wow, that's actually awesome for this kind of podcast. And then some of it, especially the sentimental stuff, seemed a little bit too sort of on the money or a little bit too much like trying to guide you in a certain emotional way that actually the interviews or or the voiceover or whatever uh, was going on 
already had that stuff. So it seemed like a little bit of overkill, uh, a little bit overly sentimental, I guess, to me. So kudos for taking some risks and doing things a little bit differently than other people are doing. And, you know, quite honestly, for me, I, I think it worked more often than it didn't. But the times when it didn't kind of stood out because other people don't necessarily do those things. So it's like, oh, why'd they make that choice? But again, you know, it, it's good to, to try and mix things up a little bit so it doesn't sound like every other podcast. Yeah, Toby, I was just going to jump on the tail of your first point here about the writing that I did appreciate it. It does sound purple when it's read aloud. It reminds me more of something that would be really at home in a true crime book. Um, because that kind of writing can really be sustained and, you know, sort of appreciated when you're reading it. But you're right. It's because it doesn't sound natural when it's said aloud that it becomes conspicuous. And so I do, you know, I have an appreciation for the skill. But you're right. It, it does end up kind of taking you out a little bit of, you know, what's happening here, what the action is. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, the, the, the style of this podcast is a choice. And I have to say, initially, I was like, it's too much of a choice for me. But I have to say, like Toby, it really grew on me. I was listening to this about halfway through the second episode. I was like, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of... Accused. No, it reminds me of the Black Tapes podcast, oh. stylistically. It reminds <laughs> me of that Pacific uh, Northwest Stories public radio alliance sound that they were going for in those fictional podcasts. The sort of intimacy, the sort of built intimacy. And um, the one thing I will say is Jennifer's mic technique is very eating the mic. And the only problem with that is like the popping peas, which is like, it's just like, if you're going to do that, like get the right, you know, sort of setup for it, because it is so intimate and so close that then when you hear things like a bad cut or a popped pea or something like it's, it, it definitely pulls you out of it. And the same thing with the writing, like some of the writing is, and I do want to say some of it is very, very good, which is why when you hear something that sounds fictional or sounds purple like it does stick out and pull you out and the music again very intense like there's this ripoff of in the air tonight that they use yes um, it is i mean it literally is like when you look up music for podcasts on the internet it's like in the style of in the air tonight there's there's one of those in this that if you listen to it it's like but it's, it works really really well in the show what have you been able to learn about bernice what I learned about Bernice was um, she was uh, going to school. Um, I found out that she was a nurse's aide. I think she was 16 when she disappeared, possibly hitchhiking to go meet up with her boyfriend. Are there any similarities that you see between your case and Bernice's? I, I believe, um, well, one, victim of opportunity, and uh, two, we were both stabbed. And then there are other beds that don't like I will say the same thing with Toby is what I enjoy about this podcast is it could be so boring. And some of the stylistic choices they make while like as an editor, I might be reticent about them. There are also choices they make that I feel like I was in the room because like sometimes it's like she'll say something. And I'll be like, oh, no. And then the next thing she'll say is, listen, you may not like this. Because, you know, this isn't cool and whatever. But I thought about this before I did it. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's literally what I would have said to say there because I don't like that. But like she's acknowledging that most listeners like a lot of listeners wouldn't be cool with the psychic thing or whatever. You know what I mean? So like, um, I don't know. There are the things the very things that made me reticent about it first ended up being 
the things I liked most about the show. Laura, what are your thoughts about the stylized nature of this? Yeah. So I struggled with that. Um, you know, I think the first opening scene where we have this, this very dramatically written opening scene, we have further scenes. I think the butterfly one was the one that sort of tipped me over the edge a bit. Oh, look at that. It's a butterfly. A butterfly just landed on the <laughs> Our flowers. flowers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now is her. Is it goosebumps? We get bad. She knows I'm here. I know. I don't see any other butterflies around. <laughs> when that level of scripting comes in, I feel like I'm not listening to a genuine story anymore, and it's pulling me out of feeling emotionally connected to what's happening because I'm like, oh, really? So the first five minutes, I'm like, I am not going to keep listening to this podcast because of this scene. And then I'm like, oh, no, now it's kind of interesting. So I, I think going back and forth like that from this, you know, much more scripted, really sounded like something you might write if you were writing a magazine piece, not necessarily sometimes the way you would talk. That for me was when I didn't feel as connected to the story that she was telling. You know how you feel connected to stories like this as you support them on Patreon. Oh. And then you have some oh, sort of skin in the game. Yeah, it's yeah. so efficient as a transition, Kevin. I'm very proud of you. Nicely done. We so have I guess the, we're in the business section. This is the business section. Yeah. Toby knows this because he recognizes the music. Yes. The music. Yeah. Yes. Your favorite. Your favorite. It's, it's just like in the air slaps. tonight. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not. Like, it's not. I, I just like it. Exactly. We're going to have the big drum break at the at the end. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, yes. You can support us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and there you'll get all sorts of great exclusive content you'll get all episodes of crime writers on early and ad free also you're going to get to hear the crime writers on after show this week we're going to be talking about two things We've got the world premiere of the Barbie movie coming out. Okay. So it's a good time to talk about our experiences as children with Barbies. Now, I'm wondering if either of the ladies had Barbies. I don't know if Toby had a Barbie or his sister had a Barbie or some other kind of guy-related a heteronormative action figure. I don't know what, what it would... Looking back on what G.I. Joe is. You're digging yourself in a yeah. hole. Gender's a construct. I had some Barbies. I made clothes for my Barbies. Oh, okay, all right. This is why, folks, you got to join us on Patreon <laughs> to hear about this stuff. All sorts of great stuff. Also coming up now, uh, a week from today on Monday, Toby is going to be recording the next episode Wait, what's of, the other thing we're talking about in the after show? Oh, the other thing we're talking about in the after show. Uh, and I think I mentioned this early on, earlier on today. There is news that... you just broke over the weekend about an arrest in the Long Island serial killer case. Rebecca has been reading up on that, and so we're going to ask her a little bit about her perspective on what's transpired and also as a Long Islander. I'm obsessed with this case, and as you know, my mom thought that she knew who the Long Island serial killer was, and we're going to discuss in the after show, was she right? I'm thinking that she was wrong. Just my guess. Let me give you a clue. She was closer than you think. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. There's a deep dive episode actually on the book. Lost Girls? Lost Girls, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a super interesting story. Speaking of the deep dive, Toby is recording again. Uh, this is going to be a week from today on Monday, the 24th. And Toby, the book is called The Stranger Beside Me. All true crime fans are familiar with this Anne Rule book. Tell us who's going to be coming on to discuss it with you. 
to discuss this eight million page book. It's going to be Claire <laughs> Clark uh, from uh, Trinity College of Dublin. I know where that Elks. is. Al- did you meet her in Ireland? I did not. Oh, and uh, you know Alex Segura, who's won all the awards, and Lauren Bright Pacheco, uh, who did Murder in Oregon, Murder in Illinois. And is working on a new one as we speak. Yeah, super interesting stuff there. Great panel. Looking forward to that. We also have a very special event coming up. What's that? It is going to be this special crossover event between Married with Podcast and Leave it to Bricker. Oh, I cannot wait for this one. So we're going to be doing a live event. It is on the 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be doing Mary's podcast, but our featured guest is Laura Bricker, who's going to be talking about her experience on the dating apps. On the apps. On the apps, things that she's found. So don't give it away. <laughs> it's worth the price of admission. It is. It is. I, I'll give you, well, no, I won't give you any Don't clues. even, I'll say, don't. I will say I've not, I've not met anybody in person or spoken to anybody. I'm just curiously investigating the world of online dating. I've seen the screenshots and this is going to be a good conversation. It's going to be a good conversation. It gets better and better. Wait, I want to give you one preview. One of my favorite like I just can't believe the things people write but I I have a hidden thing so nobody can see me looking at them. I paid like extra so I'm just like covert. Um, Somebody wrote an entire thing basically from the point of view of him and his dog talking about how they were looking for a partner. To tag team. And I was like Oh, my fucking word. Dear God. So me and Ocean are looking for somebody that likes to take walks with us. I'm like, fuck no. Anyway. Swipe right, baby. We're going to be creating a new Patreon level where we will live stream (laughs) Lars' dates with these people. Set up a little thing. If anyone knows somebody who's not weird... Let Laura know. It's all good. We to don't say. know anybody who's not weird. Ah, it's okay. It's okay. Ah. I'm just doing like a study of this world right now. Gotcha. We got so many great live events coming up uh, on Patreon. We've got one more I want to tell you about. We're going to be recording our episode, an upcoming, another upcoming episode of Crime Writers on. We did this earlier in the summer. We're going to do it again. We're going to be recording on the evening of July 27th. Okay. And uh, you're going to hear us talk about our review of. The Retrieval. So this okay. is the uh, new podcast from Serial, and it's all about women's pain. And Rebecca, I'm sure we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm sure she's going to be turned up to a boil. This, this subject is makes me wild. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting so far. Lastly, in, in uh, crime writers on worlds or partisan crime media worlds, we've got the latest episode of These Are Their Stories Out, and our guest is. Jillian Pensavale from True Crime Obsessed. We're talking about the John Stamos guest starring appearance in the episode called Bang. Incredible episode. This is the one where he fathers 47 children. Uh, He is a, quote, reproductive abuser. Incredible. And the way he gets dispatched at the end, he is stabbed by someone who happens to be using uh, a scuba diver's knife, a, a wasp Exploding knife. knife. It's filled with Mm. CO2 and she gets stabbed and it blows him up from the inside. Have a listen. Ah! I told him I needed to use the bathroom and I went looking for a knife. Found me a doozy. I joined him in the garden. I just meant to cut his penis off. Boom! Ken bursts open. (laughs) 
So, Kevin, this has already been going so long, this business section. Yeah. I'm going to make it like 10 seconds longer. I just wanted to give a shout out to listener and fan and friend of the show, Colby Jack, mm-hmm. uh, because she has helped me figure out and decode my newly curly hair. And uh, you were very, very helpful this week. And while I had COVID, I had plenty of time to uh, play with it. And you were you knew, you were right. You figured it out for me. Thank you. Thank ha- you. Thank you. Your hair is awesome. Thank you. You figured it out. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Shelly Watson and Serena Del Mundo. Bless you. Bless you, Shelly. Bless you, Serena. Bless you, everyone who muscles through the business section, whether you're on Patreon or not. We appreciate all of you. Kevin, should I go ahead and fade that music out right now? Fade it out. All right, let's do it. Okay, so we have to talk about the fact that in this podcast, there is a guy who says he's not, but also says he is a profiler. (laughs) Laura, what do you think about this guy? Because, you know, he's smart in many ways and actually brings some like like level headedness to the podcast in many ways. But you know how I feel about profiling. Right. And he also seems to share some of those feelings about profiling, too. But at the same time, he's also doing some profiling. Well, he is. And I I can't say I disagree with the assessment of the mentally ill man in the creepy house not being organized enough to be a serial killer, Mm. you know, based on a profile. But he's also the one who said it would be irresponsible to even talk about him and by using his name in the podcast because he clearly suffers from mental illness. And like, yeah, to stigmatize a mentally ill guy like with pitchforks and torches as a small town is not fucking cool. It's such a small town thing. It's such a small town in that area thing. So, I mean, I always think it's interesting. I mean, you know, not only do we have a profiler, we have a psychic, we have a life coach. I mean, we have a lot of these side people that get involved in criminal cases in this. But I guess it made it interesting to me that here's like another person who is getting involved, trying to figure out this case and offering information that may or may not be helpful or even credible. But I found it interesting to listen to. But as far as it being something that I would like put weight on, not so much. If they catch this guy, this is what he's going to be like. But she would write down what I said and kind of tuck it away. And then if the guy was caught, she'd whip it back out and we'd look at it. And more often than not, I was right on the money. Well, what was the thing where he said that he would read newspaper stuff and then like have somebody write down what he thought would happen and then later on... He was proven right when they made arrest or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. That was weird. Aha! So he's also a psychic. It's kind of like, is this your card? Yeah, the, the, the force choosing or whatever. Yeah. 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 But like at the same time, we also the heard. Forced, you mean like in yellow jackets? No, no, like the forced, like the forced choosing, you oh, know, like when yeah. you're the force. But, but at the same time, did you not hear him kind of shitting on profiling the way the FBI does it? Because you did. I heard him like not loving the whole FBI yeah. stuff. And um, it's problematic. I, I, he was just, a, to me, an interesting character in the podcast and an interesting expert to bring in. But we also have. Some other stuff in the podcast, which, Toby, I knew you were going to bring up because it stuck out to me, too. A lot of mumbo jumbo stuff in the podcast comes out, too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier about the psychic, which, again, it's like, hmm, for me to sort of equally 
I guess, frustrating was there's a scene where they go to a place where I think they think a murder happened or a body might have been buried or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But then they have like these physical reactions to the spot where somebody like doubles over in pain. I think somebody feels cold. It's like all a little bit like the crucible and like it's, it's a little strange and I'm not sure how seriously we're supposed to take it. And it just made me think it's like, you don't like when you're reading like a New York times article or some other journalistic thing, like you rarely read reporters being like, yeah, I went to the place and God, I had this horrible stomach feeling. I felt evil surrounding me. It seems like something you can get away with in a podcast that you couldn't get away with if you're writing for a newspaper or a magazine or something. And I think maybe there's a reason for <laughs> for why they don't do it in print. So anyway, yeah, I just found it. This this kind of stuff drives me nuts. It takes me out of it. And I, and I shouldn't, it's not just the psychic stuff. It's, you know, I think I have the same issue when like a judge says, yo, I looked into their eyes and I was trying to see if I could see a murderer in them. Yeah. It's like, come on, that's fucking ridiculous. Like you have no idea. Yeah. So sticking with like facts and evidence and observations and like stuff that's like tangible rather than psychics and weird shit like that. I mean, even like you'd be willing to probably even more so than me argue about the profiling uh, is being another one of those things, which has a little bit more legitimacy, I think, in the public size. But again, it's just like, even when I was listening to this guy who wasn't making like huge, huge claims, but this idea that somebody is too mentally ill to be a serial killer, like, I don't think you should be profiling mentally ill people as serial killers, but there's certainly been very profoundly mentally ill people who have created a bunch of murders. So I don't know. That stuff drives me nuts, and I just kind of fire through it and just try and forget that it happened so I can enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, but but Toby, what about my favorite scene of the whole thing when the brother ah! drops himself in the tarp and goes out in the woods where the sister's body was found? And then I went back home, and I had this plastic, and so I did a series of um, performance I wouldn't say performances, I would say performance actions with the plastic, with me wrapping myself up in it and doing things with it. I, I, I was like performance art or something. That was really interesting. But I think it was also a demonstrational art of sort of like his way of coping. Yeah. Yes. Right? I mean, we see like yeah. different, uh, you know, perhaps we would consider unconventional ways to deal with your grief. Yeah. And I, and I think perhaps if you are a performance artist, if you got a tragedy like that happening to you, like any way you have to work through it. Yeah. I was surprised. I mean, the bringing up the brother and bringing up the other people, I was actually very surprised at the number of sources that spoke to Jennifer for this podcast, mm -hmm. family members, friends of victims, like the sourcing in this is actually really impressive. And some of these people I know have spoken to the media before. It sounds like some of them have not. And um, Jane's done her own podcast on this. I know. Yeah. Jane is Jane has obviously been sort of a prolific talker on this. But um, and some of them I thought was interesting, brought up that book that was written, which I have somewhere that that they didn't like the version of people that were described, like the way that their loved ones who were victims of this were described in that book. And that's why they were also willing to talk um, for this podcast. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but that actually speaks to me about Jennifer's approach, which must have been good. That must have been like a solid, well done, careful, probably time consuming approach because you don't agree to talk to someone after you've been burned if they just call you once or email you once. Like that's just not how it works, generally speaking. Um, one other thing that I just wanted to ask about, because as much as like I typically am like, oh, 
Um, sometimes a podcaster throws a theory out or speculation out. And one thing that Jennifer does not do a ton of in this is throw a lot of like wild speculation out. But the one time she does, it turns out she's right, which is about her theory about why the woman pulled into the rest stop. Oh, yeah. Um, I have I've, the parking ride, the right? Parking yeah, ride, yeah, yeah. Right. Because I feel like she was 10 minutes the from phone. home. Right. And she was right. Do you want to know my theory? Go ahead. She stopped to use the payphone because she was late getting back to her apartment. Her best friend's daughter was staying at her apartment and was expecting her home at a certain time. All right. That explains getting off the interstate, but it doesn't explain driving to the north end of the... Or, or does it? Is Was there a phone booth up there? Anyone else think that that was a particularly cool? Like, I actually was like, that was an actually interesting hunch that ended up being correct. And I actually was wondering if, um, you know, there might be other things out there that, you know we might be getting in the second half of the of the podcast because it's like I'm like is this an invest because part of me the whole time is like is this an investigation or is this just a retelling of the story because it gets it gets you know sold to us at the beginning as an investigation right and I'm like are, it, it feels very much like a a retelling of each of the cases until that moment where it actually feels like an investigation to me what do you guys think there's something to that yeah I mean it is hard to sort of do a serious reinvestigation of like a cold case from 30, 40 years ago, right? I mean, you're just at a, a real disadvantage there because a lot of this is going to be, you know, relying on memories of people and evidence that you probably don't have access to. I think you have to have certain expectations about what you will accomplish. But, you know, I think you also have to know what you think you can deliver on. And if that means, you know, less of an answer at the end, about definitively who the killer is and more about, you know, a statement about the system or about, you know, somebody like Jane and the others about their experience. Like, that's good, too. Yeah. There's also that market that we should probably never go to. Right, Laura? Yeah, I will definitely not be going to Leo's market. Um, if I'm over in that section of the state of New Hampshire working on an investigation and it's getting dark, we'll not be pulling in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Dark Valley? It's a look at the Connecticut River Valley serial killer case. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Dark Valley? So I'm, I'm going to go a mild thumbs up. I didn't love this podcast, but I'm really interested in this case because I grew up there. And the things I struggled with in this podcast, there were times that the writing was a little bit too over the top with the drama and there was a lot of weird synthesizer music going on, which was not, that's like not a big deal, but it was just kind of distracting to me. Um, but I was, as somebody that grew up in that area, in that Connecticut River Valley, in the Upper Valley area, when this was sort of the aftermath and, you know, when it was happening, I remember driving on, you know, Interstate 91 and that was like, you, you know, you knew this is where this was happening. So I was really interested to hear from all of the family members of the victims in this case and the one survivor. I mean, there's a lot of really great voices in this. There was just some parts of this podcast that for me, just in my own personal style preference didn't really work. But overall, uh, mild thumbs up. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Dark Valley? Are those my only two options? Oh, well, no. You know, there's always a third option that you can throw in there. Laura does it all the time. That's the one I'm going to opt for. Um uh, this is a little different than than most podcasts, I guess, that we review in that there are parts of it that I liked a lot. And then there are other parts that I liked less. So I give it credit for 
you know, it, it tries some new stuff. Like the, the narration is, is, is delivered in a way that that's not sort of typical for true crime things. Uh, the music in it is very present. It's there sometimes I think really for the benefit. And sometimes I think not so much for the benefit of the show. Um, you know, I kind of, I felt a little bit like it wasn't quite cohesive to me. Like I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had a sense of how everything connected and what sort of the progress was or what was kind of tying all this stuff together. Other than the fact that it's these murders that happened around the same time. Uh, and they think might've been done by the same person, but I just kind of felt like a little bit more attention to that, like sort of being narratively cohesive would have been helpful. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think that the good parts are, are, are really good, but it's interspersed with some stuff I didn't like as much. Uh, so that's why it's a thumbs sideways. Kevin Flynn. I'm going to go uh, thumbs up on this. It's more in the style, I think, of accused and those kinds of podcasts that are a little more deliberate and maybe a little plotting in the way that they tell their narrative. I like the host. I think she does a great job with Jane. I like Jane telling sort of more of the human experiences. Jennifer does put out a lot of stuff about the evidence that they do have, whether it's, you know, the watch or the tarp or, you know, the suspects that they do have. It's hard to know whether or not that, like, turns into something important at the end because the podcast is still ongoing. There's a lot sort of out there, and we just have to see if they can pull it all together at the end to come up with a, a satisfying conclusion. So that's where I'm at. I am and have been stuck between a thumb sideways and a thumbs up on this podcast all the whole time I was listening to it and while listening to you three talk. And you haven't helped me because <laughs> um, there's so much about this podcast that I traditionally hate in podcasts. There's a ton of Foley. Um, there's a very stylized kind of narration. There's um, a very stylized kind of approach. But those things are done in such a way that it, like it's very deliberate style. And for some reason, that weirdly works for me. It's, it's almost like... Um, the old school era of true crime podcasting. It sort of, it sort of sounds kind of vintage to me in a way that I like. So I really, really like the way this podcast sounds a lot. And um, it's not perfect, but generally speaking, the way it sounds really appeals to me. It needs a ton of signposting that it doesn't have. I found myself getting lost a couple of times. And Jennifer even says in the podcast at one point, you might be getting lost. So let me run through what I've told you so far. And I'm like, I really needed that a lot more often than I'm getting this one time. So that being said, what I'm going to do is give it a mild thumbs up because the barometer for me very often is, do I want to listen to the next episode? And I did with this podcast. I wasn't at a situation where I was like, oh God, I have to listen to another one. I actually kind of did want to listen to the next one. So I'm going to err on the side of thumbs up and I'm going to listen to the second half of the series and I may revisit this review later between us and let you guys know what I think. But yeah, mild thumbs up for me for Dark Valley. Interesting, interesting podcast. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime of the crime week. Crime of the week! California authorities are on the hunt for a frisky sea otter who's been stealing people's surfboards right out from underneath them. The culprit is known as Otter841. She was born in captivity, raised at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and then released into the wild. But 841 seems to have lost her natural fear of humans and continues to approach surfers and kayakers. 
She's been biting big chunks out of boards, then climbing on top while the surfer swims away. While some find it cute, otters can crush clamshells in their jaws. So fingers and toes don't stand a chance. Officials say they'll step in and relocate the otter before the encounters get too gnarly. Cowabungo panel, surfing sea otters, what's the next human pastime animals will be trying? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I'm going to say Netflix and chill so they can take a little break after all that uh, activity. What do you think, Toby Ball? What is the next human pastime the animals will be trying? Pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Kevin? Uh, I think that after all those years of rolling down the window and yelling out at the car, cows are going to finally say moo and get behind the wheel. I think that's probably right. All right, that's going to do it. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? So we are going to go with, um, remember the crime writers on kittens? Yes. Remember we had kittens. Our, Our good friend Lillian Seldine. Well, Lillian now has a little foster dog that is hanging out with her cats. And the dog is little Miss Min. Came into the Humane Society terrified despite the kindness of the staff. She languished for weeks, completely shut down. She needed to get out of there. Lillian agreed to foster, brought her home two days, just brought her home um, actually after the 4th of July. So there's a picture with the sad little dog in the cage when it came home. And then there's an adorable video running around playing with the cats. So this little Miss Min is in exactly the right place to get their groove back on so they can find their home. So good job, Lillian. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you with their pets, foster or homed or otherwise to be Cat of the Week. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And of course, they can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. We've been getting lots of submissions that way. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you. How can they find you online? On Twitter, I'm at Toby Ball and H. And for some reason, I'm on threads. And that's at Toby Ball 603. Nice. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And Crime Writers On is on threads. And I don't know much about it. We just had to grab it. So I think I'll also be getting on threads, too, because... It's exactly like Twitter. Except it's not a cesspool. Yes. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> All right. If you want to follow me everywhere, including on threads, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter and elsewhere at Crime Writers On, as you've heard. And I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page, look at the pinned post, and join the group. Get episodes early and ad-free at Patreon.com slash partners in crime media you'll also get the crime writers on after show married with podcast lara bricker's leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcast our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the wonderful livy burdett the executive producer of this program is kevin flynn this show was recorded in the treehouse yoga studio above the mockingbird cafe in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our new hampshire basement where we also create performance art using items found at the crime scene of our loved ones on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later later but by the way breaking news I just got a text from my mom asking me if I plan to watch the Gilgo Beach Serial Killer press conference at 4 p.m. She's going to be watching.
Crime Media. Media.